We're going to consider Baptist Catechism number 33 this evening. The question here is, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? And I would like to, again, repeat this answer. I'll lead you through it piece by piece, and so you'll repeat after me. I think this is a good custom for the children to repeat the answer, also for the adults to repeat it. This will become very natural to us um, as the weeks pass by. It's there on your outline. It should be up on the screen eventually. Maybe not. We don't need to worry about that too much, though. Um, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The answer is this. The Spirit applies to us the, Spirit the redemption purchased by Christ, purchased by, Christ. by working faith in us. And thereby, us to and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. In our effectual calling. That's very good. Let's go now to the reading of God's holy word. It's Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I know we've been studying through the book of Ephesians, so this passage should sound very, very familiar to you. It wasn't long ago that we studied it together, but it's so fitting for the doctrinal the doctrinal topic that we are considering this evening. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The salvation of God's elect was accomplished by Jesus the Christ nearly 2,000 years ago. Through His obedient life, His sacrificial death, His victorious resurrection, and His glorious ascension to the right hand of the Father. Uh, this is when our redemption was accomplished. That was when the victory was won, when Christ said, it is finished at the time of His death. This is what He meant. He had finished the work that the Father had given Him. He had accomplished our redemption. But how do the elect of God come to be redeemed? How do the elect of God come to be saved? Uh, that is the question that we are considering now in this portion of our, of our catechism. We know that they are not born into this world saved. They are not born into this world alive to God and in a right relationship with Him. To, to the contrary, even the elect of God are born into this world in sin, dead spiritually, and enemies of God. And that is what Paul teaches in that passage that we have just read. He was writing to Christians in Ephesus when he said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He is speaking to Christians. 
those chosen by God before eternity, before the creation of the world in eternity past. He is speaking to them when he says, you used to be this way. You used to be dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And a little bit later he says that they were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul was not saying that this was who these people were at the time of his writing, but rather this is what they used to be. They were in the past, dead in their sins. They were by nature, that is to say from the time of their birth, children of wrath. But his point in this passage that we have read is that something had changed. Instead of being dead in their sins, these had been made alive with Christ. That is what verse 5 says of Ephesians 2. And instead of being children of wrath, they were now raised up with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages God might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward them in Christ Jesus. That is Ephesians 2, 6-7. through 7. And so this is quite a change that the Apostle is speaking of. This is quite a transition these people, and I think we must picture real individuals like you and me, were changed from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. They were moved from being children of wrath, meaning they stood guilty before God and deserving of His wrath, to beloved children of God. Uh, that is a very radical transformation, and it is the same transformation that all who are in Christ have experienced. They have gone from death to life from children of wrath to beloved children of God, from filthy to clean, from guilty to not guilty, from bondage to freedom. I think a lot more could be said concerning this change. But if we wish to speak of this change very generally, and by using only one word, we may simply say redemption or salvation. What has happened to these people? Well, they have been Saved. Uh, that is a very generic way of using that word. They have been redeemed. Again, a very generic way to use that word. What does it mean to be redeemed? Well, specifically, it means to be purchased and set free. But generally, we might use the word to speak of all of those wonderful benefits that belong to those who are in Christ Jesus. The redeemed are those who have been made alive, set free, washed, justified, adopted, etc., and we use the word salvation in a similar way. Specifically to be saved is to be rescued from some danger. But when we use the term generically, as we often do, it refers to the many benefits that belong to those who are in Christ Jesus. When we say, I am saved, or we are saved, we are talking about a whole host of things, benefits that have come to us because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Christ accomplished our redemption. He earned our salvation a long time ago. And the question again that is before us is how do we come to be saved? How do we come to have this redemption which Christ has earned along with its many benefits as our own? Uh, remember that question 32 of our catechism started in the right place by saying we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. This is certainly true. The Father sent the Son to accomplish our redemption and the Father and Son have sent the Spirit to apply the salvation that Christ has earned to the elect of God in every age. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? Well, the first thing we must say is that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we come to partake of this redemption that Christ has earned. That is the first thing that we must say. And as has been emphasized a number of times over the past few weeks, we are to recognize that our salvation is Trinitarian. Who saved you? I think we are inclined to answer that question this way, saying, Jesus saved me. And that is certainly true. But an even more 
thorough answer would be, God has saved me. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son, and the Father and Son have sent the Holy Spirit. All three have a particular role to play in our redemption, and they work in harmony with one another. God has chosen some before the foundation of the world, and He has determined that the Savior would come to atone for their sins. The Son has atoned for their sins. He has accomplished our redemption, and now the Holy Spirit, in sync with the Father and the Son, does draw those whom the Father has given to the Son to to faith. That is what we learn here in question 33. It builds upon the question that we considered last week. It clarifies how the Spirit effectively applies the redemption purchased by Christ. How does He do it? We know it is the work of the Holy Spirit, but how does He do that work? How does He he bring this redemption and all of its benefits to us? Again, the question, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The answer is very helpful because it is biblical. The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. I'd like to work backwards through that answer, taking it in three parts. First of all, notice the little phrase, in our effectual calling. That is how the answer to this question concludes. In our effectual calling. Now, I will not spend too much time here explaining what effectual calling is, for we will have an opportunity to focus on that next week. If we look ahead to question 34, we see it asks, what is effectual calling? So for now, let us simply acknowledge that it is the Spirit of God who calls sinners to repentance and faith. We might also say that the Spirit draws sinners. This He does through the preaching of the gospel. When the gospel is preached, men and women are called to faith and repentance by other men and women. That is what happens when the gospel is preached. Christians call others to faith and repentance. That is an essential call. It is essential that the gospel be preached and that Christians call others to faith and repentance. But this is not an effectual call. What do I mean by that? Well, What I mean by that is, though it is essential that the gospel be preached and that Christians call men and women to faith and repentance, this is not an effective call because it is merely external. If the gospel call is going to be effective, the Spirit of God must call inwardly and effectually. There are plenty of people who hear the external call, the gospel preached by men and women merely, and they reject the gospel. But if someone is to hear that gospel and believe, if they are going to turn from their sins truly, repent, and believe upon Christ, it will be because, it will be because the Holy Spirit has done something effectual. He has, he has effected a change within them. He has made them to hear and see truly. He has enlivened them in some way, making them able and willing to believe the gospel. This is what Jesus was referring to when He spoke to the crowd, saying, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is very clear teaching. The gospel was being preached to a great multitude, and yet Jesus said to that same multitude, No one can, no one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus preached the gospel to the crowd. There was that external call, which is essential, as I have said, But at the same time, he acknowledged that no one could come to him unless the Father draws him. And this the Father does by the agency of the Holy Spirit. How does the Father draw 
sinners to repentance? By his Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. He is the one who woos or draws. He is the one who calls effectively by the agency of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's call is called effectual because it is always effective. It gets the job done each and every time. Those he draws will in fact believe upon Christ and be raised on the last day, as John 6.44 says. And so we will leave effectual calling and more details on that subject until next week, Lord willing. Secondly, notice the little phrase, thereby uniting us to Christ. You notice that's right in the middle of the answer that we have to question 33 of our catechism, that we are united to Christ, union with Christ. This is a very important doctrine that is often overlooked. To be redeemed is to be united to Christ, and to be united to Christ is to be redeemed. The two things go hand in hand. In Christ, we are adopted as sons. In Christ, we have an inheritance. In Christ, we are set free. In Christ, we are raised from death to life. In Christ, we are washed. And I wonder, have you ever noticed how often the New Testament, and particularly Paul, makes reference to our union with Christ with that simple little phrase, in Him or in Christ? We could actually stay in Ephesians to illustrate this point. If you're there still in Ephesians, uh, you could, or you could just listen to me also, look at Ephesians 1.3, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And then in 1.7, we read, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And then in 1.11 we read, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will. And then in verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Many other examples could be given, but... Perhaps my very favorite is Philippians 3.8. And in fact, we read this same passage this morning. Uh, it was read to you in, in the sermon this morning. But listen to Paul's words in Philippians 3.8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, so Paul says, I've lost so much by following after Christ. I used to be highly respected by my kinsmen, according to the flesh, now they hate me and seek to kill me. I've suffered so many things because I've professed Christ. And, and that's fine and good. I count all of that that I have lost as rubbish when I compare it to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and being found in Him, united to Him and clothed in His righteousness. So the point is this, if you wish to be saved, then you must be in Christ and clothed in His righteousness. For salvation is found in no other. And this union with Christ that I'm here speaking of is a real union. It is not a figure of speech. It is not a merely hypothetical union. It is a real union that is wrought or brought about 
by the agency of the Holy Spirit. We are really, in fact, and truly united to Jesus Christ spiritually because the Spirit has made it so. There are many passages that teach this. But perhaps the most famous is that John 14 passage where Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully to the teaching of Christ. In verse 15 of John 14, He says to His disciples, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. Notice how He's talking here. He's talking about sending the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit will be in us. But in the same breath, He says, I will come to you. He will come to us and be with us and in us by the agency of the Holy Spirit is the teaching. I continue. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is a mystical thing that Jesus is speaking of. What is He speaking of here except for this mystical union that does exist between Christ and His church? This is a union that is wrought by the agency of the Holy Spirit. We are really united to Christ if we have faith in Him. I continue again, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How will you show yourself to us especially and and, and not to the world in general? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. What an awesome truth this is. We are truly united to Christ by faith. The Holy Spirit brings this about. We are in Him and He is in us. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what our catechism is referring to in that little phrase, thereby uniting us to Christ. To have redemption, to be saved, is to be united to Christ. And to be united to Christ is to be redeemed or saved. This union is real. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, notice the little phrase, by working faith in us. So how do we come to have this redemption that Christ has earned as our own? How does it work? How do we come to be saved? Well, the Spirit does the work. He effectively applies the redemption purchased by Christ to the elect. This we know. And how does He do this? The Catechism says, by working faith in us. By working faith in us. Faith is the instrument whereby salvation is received. It is through faith that we come to be saved, just as the Apostle says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And what is faith except trusting in Christ? That is what faith is. It is trusting in another, and in this instance it is trusting in Christ. Just as you receive a gift at Christmas time by opening the hand, so you receive the gift of salvation by opening the hand of faith. Faith is the open hand by which the gift of salvation is received. We're going to talk more about faith and what it is as we progress through this catechism together, particularly in questions 90 through 104. But for now, please understand that we come to be saved 
not by works, but by faith in Christ alone. As Paul says in Romans 4.16, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Paul here is saying there is a reason why it all depends upon faith. It all depends upon faith so that it might rest on grace. If it depended upon your obedience, uh, your, your good works, then we would see that our salvation depended upon the works of the law. But it is all about grace, God's grace, His unmerited favor. And the only way that grace can be received is, is through faith, by trusting. It is the open hand by which we receive the gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for us to earn, but a gift for us to receive. And we receive it by faith, which means that we trust and rest in the work of another, namely the work of Jesus the Christ, our Redeemer. We are saved not by the keeping of the law nor by good works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And one more thing needs to be said. Even the faith that we have is a gift from God. Did you notice that our catechism says, by working faith in us? By working faith in us. What does that mean? The Spirit is the one who enables the elect of God to believe. More on that next week. But what an important concept. We would not believe were it not for the work of the Spirit upon our souls to effectively draw us to salvation. Uh, we, remember, are by nature children of wrath, hostile to God and to the things of God. We, by nature, are dead in our sins. But the Spirit makes us alive. The Spirit draws us. The Spirit makes us willing and able to believe. This He does for the elect of God, those given to the Son by the Father from eternity past. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here Paul is most certainly teaching that even this faith by which we receive the gift of salvation it's not our own doing. It doesn't originate from within us, but even it is the gift of God. Let me now conclude with three very brief suggestions for application. One, let us be grateful to God for this undeserved favor that He has bestowed upon us. I hope that we have gratitude, brothers and sisters. That Ephesians 2 passage that we read at the very start is very dramatic as it reveals to us how terrible our natural condition was and how great the loving kindness of God is to save sinners such as you and me. And so how could we not be grateful? How could we fail to serve Him with all that is in us now that we are His redeemed? Two, knowing that our faith was a gift from the beginning, I think it is right for us to pray to God and ask Him to strengthen our faith from day to day. Of course, there are things that we must do to strengthen our faith. But it is also right for us to ask God to strengthen our faith. God, you have given me this faith in the beginning, now strengthen it. I'm, I'm reminded of that passage in Mark 9 where a father brought his sick child to Jesus for healing. And Jesus implored the man to believe. And the man cried out to Jesus saying this, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that posture. I do believe, but, but, I, but help me. 
where my faith is weak. Help my unbelief, he says. And so it is right that we strive to grow in the faith, but it is also right to rely upon the grace of God even in this, to say, Lord, strengthen my faith. And three, let us know for sure that all of the benefits of redemption that come to us come to us only through the spirit-wrought union that we have with Christ. All of these benefits are ours, not because we have earned them or we deserve them, but because Christ has earned them, because He deserves them. And we, being found in Him, therefore share in all of these blessings. We share in all of these rewards, these rewards that Christ has earned. We have them as our own only because we are united to Him. We are holy only because He is holy. We are righteous because He is righteous and has imputed His righteousness to us. We are adopted as sons only because we are in Christ, who is the beloved Son of God. We have an inheritance in the new heavens and new earth, but only because we are co-heirs with Christ. We were born into this world in Adam and in our sin, with death as our reward, but we have been reborn in Christ and in His righteousness with eternal life as our reward. All of this is received by faith, and all of this is by God's grace. And so let us walk humbly before God and man, for there is no room for boasting in Christ Jesus. So I have a question for you, brothers and sisters. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The answer is this. You may repeat after me. The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. A wonderful truth this is. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we thank you that you have saved us, that you have sent the Redeemer, and that you have sent the Spirit. We know that our salvation, our redemption, is all by your grace. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for drawing us to Christ, for giving us this gift of faith, for uniting us to Christ. All of this we do not deserve, but you, God, have been merciful and kind. Father, help us to comprehend just how wonderful our salvation is and help us to respond with faith and with obedience all the days of our life. In the name of Christ, we say these things. And all of God's people say,